This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumpert. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass special edition podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Tennessee baseball, as we typically do here on the special edition show. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shumpert. Ryan, it's a great Knoxville Tuesday, just ahead of Tennessee, Eastern Kentucky, a little midweek action over there in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. How are we doing? Doing well, doing well. You're right. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in Knoxville, and beautiful day for some baseball, and Hopefully it's a typical midweek baseball game and, and nothing too adventurous happens because or out of the ordinary happens because then uh, our podcast might be a little out of date pretty quickly. But sure. uh, uh, everything you need to know, you know, kind of re- going back and looking at the Florida series last weekend and, and looking ahead to uh, another top 10 challenge for Tennessee this week in Fayetteville. Yeah, it's that time of the season. We talked about it after the Texas A&M series. This gauntlet, we are right in the yeah. middle of it as Tennessee just wraps up the Florida series this past weekend, losing two of three. You mentioned the good weather. It was not good weather last weekend for Tennessee as they lost two of three to Florida. Losing on the first two days, it was Thursday and Friday. Ryan, I'm going to get those days down on this podcast. I'm locked in knowing it's Thursday through Saturday rather than Friday through Sunday, so I'm good there. You don't have to worry. But Tennessee lost Thursday and Friday before dominating Florida 14-2 to on Sunday or on Saturday. I just did it. Wow. To a rough <laughs> victory doesn't get any better than that folks does not get any better than that but ryan just kind of an overarching takeaway to get us started here on this series loss for tennessee now the third series loss in sec play in second consecutive yeah i think it certainly has a different feel to it than the lsu series you know doesn't it tennessee they lose two out of three in both but it's hard not to feel or have come, you know, away with better feelings towards Tennessee, you know, baseball and where they were at after the LSU series to meet in the Florida series. They were just so uncompetitive, really, in each of the first two games. Really, all three games of the series, it was a pretty boring series. All three were very uncompetitive. Obviously, Tennessee on the losing side uh, of the first two and then the winning side uh, of the Saturday series finale. But, no, I think uh, a little bit of the lineup and some of those guys that had big big weeks at weekends at LSU kind of coming back down to earth a little bit and the lineup as a whole struggling. And then kind of uh, it felt par for the course with the starting pitching uh, where Chase Dolander, you know, pretty good, not quite to his high standards. Chase Burns uh, struggles badly. And then Drew Beam, you know, throws a lot of strikes, fills up the strike zone and it puts Tennessee in a good spot on Sunday. Yeah, they did. Uh, Saturday, you know, the, the blowout win there for Tennessee. That's back-to-back weeks that's happened. But as you said, the series felt a lot different because Tennessee was largely a competitive in those first two games. And then on game three, you know, the opponent just had no life on offense. Whereas LSU did have life uh, yeah. there on that two Saturdays ago during that 14 to seven, when I believe it was for Tennessee. So just looking at these two series, kind of comparing them, I know they were different in their own way, but Tennessee won both game threes. What do you think is different for the Vols in that series finale compared to the first two games? What do you see that they're doing differently? You know, I don't think it's anything drastic, really, that they're doing differently. I think it's just like what you see in college baseball a lot when good teams are facing off in these weekend series. If one team loses or, you know, one team wins the first two games of the series, the team who loses, you know, just typically comes out with a greater sense of urgency. And for a good reason, they need to get a win to salvage the series. And uh, I think largely, you know, that's been it. You know, the team, uh, I guess Griffin Merritt and Cal Stark, I think kind of both talked about it after – 
Saturday that they played a little freer in, in that game and maybe the pressure is off a little bit, um, which I don't even necessarily think the pressure is off. I think in a lot of ways there's a lot of pressure to win that final game. But I think in – and Tony Vitello talked about, you know, wondering if this team kind of has a football mindset where they're real geared up for these big weekend series. You do wonder if, you know, whether – the pressure, you win the first two games, you lose the first two games, or you split, that Sunday doesn't quite have the anticipation or the build-up to it, uh, or I guess I should say mm-hmm. the series finale doesn't have the build-up to it, that, you know, the series opener that typically includes, you know, top pitchers on both sides. Uh, so I, I wonder if that's it a little bit, that it's just a more relaxed and more freeing approach. Um, you know, the team says that, but it, it's not all – it's also – it's not like these games are, you know – it's not like they're playing Eastern Kentucky to, to finish up these series, and it's – uh, some far lesser opponent. These are still difficult games against good players, and uh, Tennessee certainly has executed a lot better and had a, a seemingly a greater sense of urgency than their opponent the last two weekends. I mean, you could argue that LSU and Florida are the top two teams in college baseball, and Tennessee has, you know, had very convincing wins against those teams. So you know that Tennessee has the capabilities to beat a top five college baseball team, or maybe even the best college baseball team in the country, but. They just have not been able to put it together in a whole weekend. And as you said, Griffin Merritt really just said Saturday, we we're playing loose. Do you think that it's kind of simple playing loose, right? That's the key to us winning or to Tennessee winning and doing well is just playing loose. You know, that's kind of what Griffin Merritt was saying. But it's do you think it's that simple for this team? No, I don't think it's I don't think it's that simple. I do think that can be a large part of it. And, you know, it's something you talk about all the time in baseball that it's just, like, kind of difficult to get a grasp on or a feel for, makes it hard to predict. It's just, it's just such a mental game, and it's hard to, you know, put a, a term on it or a definition on it to have that right mental mm-hmm. approach, what that balance is of competitiveness and just going out and playing baseball. You know, I've heard Tony Vitello talk about that for years. You know, with freshmen or new guys, you're just getting into SEC play. We just got to get out there and play baseball. It's the same thing. So I do think that's a big part of it, and it's kind of hard to categorize exactly. You know, even just us talking about it, playing loose, playing free, I think is it, it doesn't exactly do it justice for the mindset. But I don't think that's the whole, you know, the whole deal. I think uh, you look at the pitching, you know, just to begin with. I don't think the pitching is necessarily the issues have been because they're pressing, at least not with Chase Burns, maybe with Chase Dolan, or it's been some of the issues. So I don't think that's necessarily the whole thing, but. You know, I think that can be at the very least a part of it and almost certainly, you know, plays some size of a role. How big of a role? I'm I'm not really sure, but uh, I think you're right. It does play one. Right. And we have a lot to get to today, guys. We are going to talk about all three games, just kind of go into game by game, talk about some moments there and then preview the Arkansas series as well, because we will not be podcasting before Tennessee heads to Fayetteville for that three-game series this weekend against the Hogs. It'll be Friday through Sunday. So, Ryan, I kind of want to go ahead and immerse ourselves, if if we will, into this Florida series. Let's start with game one, and I really want to start things off talking Chase Dolander here. You know, not the best of outings, but certainly not a bad outing. You could argue it was a top-two SEC outing for Dolander so far this season. Um, you know, did a really good job of limiting any damage from a dangerous Florida lineup, but got too high of a pitch count far too early, and he was pulled early in the game as he only pitched four innings there. Just your thoughts on Dolander's performance, which I didn't think was that bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think you're right. That was probably one of his better outings in SEC play, but, you know, it's just kind of a small sample size, and he just hasn't been great, and I thought 
there was a lot of the same issues that plagued him. You know, he got off to a pretty good start, but gives up some long balls in the night. You, know, you mentioned the, the pitch count being so high, it just didn't feel like his command was sharp, which, you know, has kind of been the case all season. He had three walks, plenty of three ball counts. He's now he's now up to more walks this season than he had all of last season. So, you know, Tony Vitello said it after the fact, and it's kind of felt like I felt for Dolander really – Burns a lot of the time too, though Burns has now had a couple really bad starts to kind of get him out of this mm-hmm. uh, conversation. But where he's like, he's just a little bit off, just a little bit off. And you know, I I thought that was pretty accurate. Dolander wasn't terrible. He didn't put Tennessee in an unwinnable situation when he opened the game, but he certainly wasn't Chase Dolander we saw last year. He didn't to me even seem close to the Chase Dolander we saw last year. And he's certainly not. You know, I wouldn't even say he would look like a great Friday night starter in in the SEC or a great game one starter in the SEC. He was solid. He wasn't bad, but he just didn't have the stuff to be dominant or to get Tennessee, you know, deep in the game. Yeah. And he was good against LSU as far as, you know, just good stuff, but he hasn't been like what you're describing. He's pretty much been that all year, even going back to Arizona. I mean, do you, I know you wrote an article about it after the Saturday win, where Tennessee getting back on track starts with the pitching. And we're going to talk about Chase Burns, which has a is in a world of problems right now after that yeah. these last two outings. But just with Dolander, what do you need to see from him moving forward to, you know, think that Tennessee can get back on track? Yeah, I think it's probably the command stuff, to be honest. Like, I feel like his issues, I think, are less glaring than Burns' issues. And I'm sure we'll get into Burns' issues in a little bit. But Dolander, he's still, you know, able to throw multiple pitches for strikes uh, or, or at least count on him early in counts. Uh, he's getting a lot of strikeouts, which Burns is too. But it just feels like everything is just a struggle. Everything's a grind. There's no quick outs. Uh, he hasn't been quite as crisp on those breaking balls early in counts to get him ahead or uh, with really any of those breaks, it feels like he's been a little reliant on fastball, you know, as an out pitch with two strikes, but it, it's been pretty good. So I don't think that's necessarily a massive issue. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it would be just to see him pound the strikes in more consistently. And I think that would lead to him being able to get deeper in games. Because again, it's not like he's just getting rocked, but he's just constantly battling. And it just feels like every inning it is yeah. high pressure, high intensity. And that leads to him not being able to get deeper in games. And, not being able to be, you know, quite as effective in those innings that he's in. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I said earlier, he was struggling to get, you know, the bottom of Florida's lineup out. You know, I think it was maybe the second inning um, when he stranded a runner in a scoring position, and it was pulling teeth to get some of those guys out at the bottom of the lineup who weren't even batting 300. So he, you're right, he is struggling. He's not getting outs as quickly as he was last year, that's for sure, and that is – kind of become a problem when Dolander can't even go five innings anymore in SEC play. That's going to have to turn things around. But I want to get your thoughts on the pitching change dating back to past Thursday. As I mentioned, Lankford and Caglione were on third and second respectively. No outs. Tony V makes the pitching change to Seth Halverson, who gives a back-to-back home runs to pretty much just put the game out of reach given how Tennessee's offense was playing. They were going to have to win this game and just grind it out. But once Florida put up four there in the fifth, it was over and took a 6-1 lead. Your thoughts on this pitching change and just how this game got away from Tennessee in such a hurry? You're right. It did get away from Tennessee in such a hurry and you know, kind of counterproductive comment there. But, you know, I didn't think anything of it at the time. I didn't think it was a bad 
a bad pitching change. You know, if anything, Vitello typically gives a little bit too much leeway to his starters and leaves them in mm-hmm. there a little long. And, I, you know, I didn't – I guess you can go back and look at it and look at how Seth Alverson, you know, first two guys he faced gives up home runs. So certainly he struggled, poor, you know, badly. But even after the fact, it wasn't like, oh, man, I really wish I would have seen what Chase Dolander could have done there. You know, he probably should give up – I'm a, I'm gonna push back on that a little. I I would have liked to see what Chase Stolander was gonna do there. Yeah, I, mean, I don't I, think he'd have given up back to back jacks like that. Yeah, I was about to say he probably doesn't give up back to back home runs, but I don't have any any confidence that he's you know getting three two strikeouts and getting out of that in, inning unharmed. You know, maybe he does. Maybe and if he just gives up one run instead of whatever it was, Tennessee ended up giving up four. four. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Three on homer and a solo shot. You know, I don't mean to indicate that that doesn't completely change the game because it, it certainly does. But it wasn't like Chase Dolander was pitching so well and it was like, man, this is a risk here. You know, you're going away from them. It certainly, it by absolutely did not pay off. And Tennessee almost – Tennessee would have been better off leaving Dolander in the game because the worst-case scenario is what happened with Halverson in the game. But it wasn't yeah. like Dolander, to me, had earned that opportunity to stay in the game. And how, how Dolander had pitched in these type of – situation so far this year and how Halverson's pitch coming in you know I think it's hard not to have confidence more confidence in Halverson and especially that's the number you see it all the time in professional baseball now of just wanting to get starting pitchers through two times through the order he'd gotten to time three and that top of the order that's really good for Florida he'd walked first batter on four pitches I might add didn't look crisp in the slightest and you know the first strike he throws is a double rope down the line by Caglione so uh you're right. Did it probably? It would have, not probably. It would have been better for Tennessee to keep Dolander in, but it, it wasn't a move that I, you know, I second guessed at the time, or you know, really thought, you know, how how could Tony and Vitello thought that was the way to go either. Well, even if Chase Dolander would have stayed in and retired three straight, if Seth Halverson would have come in and retired three straight, it wouldn't have mattered because Florida had led two to one going into that inning, and Tennessee's offense was uncompetitive and lifeless for the rest of the night. A program high, tied a program high. 18 times Tennessee struck out. They were 2 of 23 with runners on base and 1 of 13 at the plate with runners in scoring position. A really, really bad night offensively. The only life they had was a Blake Burke solo homer leading off in the bottom of the second after he had committed a fielding error, so he kind of made up for it there to even the game at one run apiece there in the bottom of the second. But after that, absolutely nothing. A horrific performance from Tennessee's offense. And in the ninth inning, they all go down looking striking out looking to end the game so just a really bad game from Tennessee's offense probably the worst we've seen yeah I would agree with that and I think for all that was really bad in that game I think you can simplify it to the fact that Christian Moore and Jared Dickey three times came up with one out runners on base or at least a runner on base Prime scoring opportunities, and and Burke was hitting behind more and Darky or more and Dickey uh, yeah. in game one. So you had the heart of the order right there. Three different times, Christian Moore and Jared Dickey made with those runners on base made the final two outs of the inning, and uh, you know that on itself, you're not going to win many games like that. And then you just look at the numbers from those two guys that combined to go zero and nine with seven strikeouts. Christian Moore was just dreadful, struck out looking. Was it three different times. times he struck out all four times we're looking? Four times. Yeah, the ninth yeah. inning made four times, right. Yeah, and it uncompetitive is the best word, you know, for those at-bats, yes. for Tennessee's at-bats, really the first two games of the series as a whole. But, uh, yeah, Christian Moore and Jared Dickey, those are the guys that you want runners up for. 
because they're typically good contact hitters uh, and they were not good hitters and they were very bad contact hitters, you know, with those strikeouts and Tennessee isn't going to win many games when those two combine to go uh, 0-9 with, with seven strikeouts. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it looked in the sixth inning that maybe Tennessee could do something, right? Bottom of the sixth, bases loaded after a Christian Scott single. Maui Huna comes up, top of the order up, and then he strikes out um, in a pretty bad strikeout, if I remember correctly, to strand the bases loaded. So that was an eyesore on the night. And then in the ninth, they load the bases again. Little, you know, it, well, they loaded the bases um, with two outs in the bottom of the sixth. So I guess that... You know, it it was, uh, but it was the top of the order. single. Yeah, it, it correct, right? And, and um, now he comes up there and immediately first pitch he chases a, a breaking ball in the dirt. So it's boom, you're yeah. down 1 and he's quickly down one two. And it, again, theme of the first two games of the series, it was not a competitive about at all. Right. Yeah, and just just not really a competitive game. Hats off to Brandon Sprout too, who had a great yeah, night on the good. mound for Florida. Then Tennessee comes back next day, and it. Not gonna say it was over before it started because Tennessee only trailed five to two after the second inning, but you know, they got in a hole early, as we've seen pretty frequently in SEC play. Florida gets three runs there in the first inning. Um, Chase Burns not far from his best stuff. Just a really, really bad night for Chase Burns. Only three point three and a third. He pitched, gave up six hits, seven runs, all earned, four walks, only three strikeouts. We talked about how Chase Burns has not had a complete outing, but there's times in his outings that, man, he looks like he's one of the best pitchers in the SEC, certainly the best starting pitcher Tennessee has. Not the case in this Friday loss for Tennessee to lose the series. No, not at all. It was, you know, he hasn't been very good in SEC play this season. Still probably his worst start of all those starts. And uh, you're right, it. You said over before it started, which, you know, isn't exactly true. But, you know, Florida just jumped on him early. And if he got to three and a third, it didn't hardly feel like he was going to get out of the second inning. And, you you know, he really did piece together uh, a scoreless third inning and then more trouble came in the fourth inning. But he just never had it. It felt like everything was pulling teeth for him. And uh, another worrisome outing for a guy at Tennessee, you know, high expectations for this reason for this season for good reason. Um, but the story of a season, you know, much more so to me than Dolander, has just been really bad struggles. Right, and this, the story of this game, it, I mean, the summary of this game, I should say, is all in the first five innings there. Um, after Caglione hit the 484-foot home run, longest home run you've ever seen in LNF? Yeah, uh, I would say so. How long was the Boston College's guy um, in that maybe like 477? I know it was close. Yeah, somewhere in the 470s or high 460s, I think. Yeah, monster, monster homer. I lost it. I knew it went over the yeah. scoreboard, but I'm sitting in the media tent and I just see the ball sail over the scoreboard and into oblivion. I totally <laughs> lost it. And then uh, Chase Burns walks Josh Rivera after that on four pitches. His night was done after that. So, yeah, bad outing for Chase Burns and just diving deeper into Chase Burns a little bit. I mean, do you just think his fastball is not working for him right now? It just doesn't seem like that is you know, it, SEC guys are just teeing off on his fastball right now, and it's a problem. Yeah, it is. They're teeing off on They're sitting on it, and they're teeing off on it. Yeah. And he seemingly can't throw, you know, another pitch for a strike early and counts to get ahead. So, you know, that's going to be the scouting report. To me, and they're more severe, but the struggles remind me a good bit of Blake Tidwell last year, where really good freshman okay. season where – you know, there's not a ton of tape on you, maybe taper off a little bit towards the end, you know, not as good, certainly not struggles like this. And then 
obviously Tidwell had the the injury. I can't even remember if that was his shoulder or elbow now entering last season that sidelined him for a bit and Burns hasn't had that. But again, he comes back and it's just teams are ready for the fastball. Teams have the scouting report on him and it's all right, we're going to sit on that. And if you can get ahead with your slider early in the count, you know, we'll tip your cap to you. And, and Tidwell really struggled to do that last year and Burns has struggled to do that this year. And it just feels like that fastball is the only pitch he can throw with much confidence. It feels like he's throwing it a lot, which is kind of why I say it seemingly feels like the only pitch right. he has a lot of confidence in. Um, so, and like you said, teams are teeing off on it. So to me, his issues are maybe more simple than Dolander's, but also more glaring and more worrisome because if he doesn't get, you know, that slider or another off-speed pitch that he can throw a little more effectively, I'm not totally sure what the fix is going to be for him, you know, against these top lineups. You were the one to ask the question, I do believe, after um, this Friday night loss for Tennessee, if Tony Vitello was going to think about maybe changing the starting pitching rotation moving forward, given, you know, just how the season, the conference play slate has gone for them thus far. Do you yourself think maybe there's a change? And if there is a change, I would have to think that it's Chase Burns moving off of a starting spot. Yeah, I think that's the only change to me that, you know, I don't think Chase, if you're going to change them with Dolander, I think it would just be what day he starts. You know, I don't think yeah. by any means you take him out of rotation and Beam's going to be that game three guy. So, so to me, it's, who do you think it could be? Yeah, I mean, it's Burns is the guy you take out. And who do you replace him with? You know, I think to me, I would replace him with Camden Sewell. I think Seth, How- you know, it's, to me, it's probably going to be one of those three guys who's been the main bullpen guys, Seth Alverson, Andrew Lindsay, and uh, Sewell. And to mm-hmm. me, Halverson and, and Sewell make the most sense because Halverson has starting experience in the SEC at Missouri. Uh, he's not going to be surprised by that. And to me, why I like Sewell, to me, he's the most reliable guy. I just have the most trust in him. He might He's probably not going to be the guy that goes the deepest. He can probably only get you – five innings, but I feel really confident about him giving you five innings like Drew Beam does most weeks where you're right in the thick of the game when he exits it. And to me, he's a little bit of a change of pace. And Lindsey would be that too. But his fastball not being, you know, a high 90 guy, uh, different arm angle that the ball comes in with and really good movement on that fastball and his ability to throw off-speed stuff for strikes, uh, I think would, would make him effective there. Chase Burns says north of a 12 ERA now in SEC play, north of a six on the season. So he's in a sophomore slump. There's no doubt about it, but we'll see what Tony Vitello chooses to do. With the starting pitching rotation when they head to Fayetteville this weekend. As for the offense, a couple of uh, lineup changes, if you will. Maui Ahuna was not active for Tennessee in that Friday loss against Florida. He's dealing with what Tony Vitello says is a backside injury. Doesn't want to necessarily say it's a back, but it's something on the backside of his body. But when we talked to Tony Saturday, he said that Maui Ahuna should be able to go tonight against Eastern Kentucky. So we'll see if that happens. But Jake Kendro got the start on game two at shortstop because a righty was throwing for Florida. That was the starter. And then on Saturday, game three, Austin Jaslov got the start at shortstop because lefty was throwing and Jack Caglione. So, you know, Jaslov was better, has been better hitting lefty. So that is kind of why we went. Tony Wittkendro on Friday and Jaslov on Saturday. But little shortstop news there. And Kavaris Tears made his return to the lineup. Started both Friday and Saturday for Tennessee Game 2 and Game 3. Feels like Kavaris Tears, now that he's back healthy, just going to be an everyday guy there in the outfield. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. It seems like he's going to be in there more times than not, at least. Um, and he's in our rotation of guys that's going to play a lot. So I thought he was good defensively. Again, you know, I think at Lindsey Nelson, you have less concerns with him as you do some of the bigger ballparks in the league. But he was solid, you know, getting back. And you're kind of starting to see it's not consistent, you know, same starters every single time out. But you're starting to get a little bit of a rhythm of, of knowing what handful of options Tennessee's going to go with, you know, when you get to the ballpark every day. Right. And um, just moving on to, well, let me do a final thought here on the offense. They struck out 14 times again on Friday to make it 32 in the first two days of those 32, 12 were looking. That was an alarming rate, you know, at the time. And then Tennessee's offense comes out in game three and explodes. So, you know, it, there's not much, it feels like there's definitely more, you know, we should be putting more time into talking about starting pitching for sure, rather than the lineup, because we've seen that Tennessee's lineup can hit pretty much anybody. It's just, well, I don't know if I should say that, but they can hit SEC caliber pitching. It's just, they have to be more consistent. Yeah. I think the lineup kind of is what it is. And there's going to be some different moving pieces, but you know, it's not a perfect lineup. It's not loaded, but it's pretty good. You know, there, there are plenty capable, plenty talented enough to have success against good SEC guys. They're just not, you know, like one of those unbelievable lineups like they had last year, or, you know, like Florida and LSU has this season. Right, and we are going to take a break here soon, but first let's talk some last-minute thoughts here on this series. As we mentioned, Drew Beam comes out and dominates. By the way, book it for next year. Drew Beam is going to throw 10 strikeouts on the game before Easter or Easter Sunday because he set his career high in strikeouts on Easter Sunday last year against Alabama, comes out the day before Easter this year against Florida and throws 10 Ks yet again in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. So he just likes this weekend, Ryan, and he was awesome for Tennessee. The best start we've seen out of a Tennessee starting pitcher this season. Yeah, you're right. And that's a great, that's a great stat find right there. Uh, Easter, Easter weekend, be ready for Drew Beam. Yep. And yeah, no, he was really good at, Pounding the strike zone, and Florida didn't really seem to have a ton of answers for him, and he was able to strike out a ton of guys doing that. Seven innings, ten strikeouts, only one walk, throwing just 99 pitches. You know, it was just the best version of Drew Beam. You know, it felt like the Drew Beam we saw early last year, and there's nothing, you know, radically different to me when you see Drew Beam on and off. It's just a little bit better command and, you know, not throwing pitches over the middle, and making the other team beat him and in some, as you alluded to early in the podcast and a bad weather day and a bad weather weekend, but a bad, probably the worst of the weather days when he was out on the mound on Saturday, it was ideal pitch or less than ideal hitting conditions. I guess I should say more than ideal pitching conditions. And he took advantage yeah. of it. He was great. And to me, you know, he's been what Tennessee's needed from him that we, we talk about starting pitching a lot, needing to be better and beam hasn't been what he was at the start of the season last year. But, you know, Beam's been about what I expected. And to me, that's a pretty good, you know, game three series finale guy uh, with the ability to get Tennessee to the middle. Innings of the game, he's probably going to give up some runs, but he's also probably not going to get rocked and get pulled, you know, early in the game either. Yeah, this was definitely early 2022, Drew Beam. What we yeah. saw Saturday against Florida. This was what Drew Beam was doing early in the season last year. How about this for a stat? You talk about fun stats or interesting stats as a pitching for the whole, as a whole for Florida, they only threw 77 strikes on 182 total pitches. Whereas Tennessee threw 80 strikes, 112 pitches. Jack Caglione, the game three starter for Florida only threw eight strikes on 35 total pitches. He walked six guys in the first inning to ultimately plate three vols and Tennessee just coasted from there. A horrific pitching day for Florida. 
Yeah, it was. It, you know, Tennessee put one ball in play in the first inning, and yeah. they scored three runs, and then they scored 14 runs on the game having seven hits, and, you know, some of that goes to Tennessee – kind of seemingly did what a lot of teams do to them, or at least do to their starting pitchers, where every single hit they had, it felt like was an extra base hit, a double yeah. or a home run. So they capitalized on their hits, you know, not just obviously Florida made plenty of pitching mistakes, not only those, but they did that. And, and uh, it was a really good day for them. I think at one point in the game, Tennessee was up like eight to two or nine to two and both teams had the same number of hits. So certainly some bad baseball from Florida helped things out. And I think that probably, led into Tennessee playing a little looser, playing a little freer, like Griff, we talked about earlier, like Griffin Merritt talked about. And it was a, a good day at the ballpark for Tennessee, really, on all accounts. I thought it was one of the cleaner games they've played uh, all season. And arguably one of the most, in, or the most encouraging thing from Tennessee baseball's weekend against Florida was Griffin Merritt's performance yep. there on game three. Four at-bats, three, he went three for four at the plate with six RBIs and two home runs, one being the walk-off to run rule Florida there in the bottom of the eighth inning, a three-run jack. This is what Tennessee needs out of Griffin Merritt. They need a power guy who can be a big bat for you, right side of the plate, you know, left lefty heavy lineup. We've talked about numerous, numerous times. They need Griffin Merritt to produce, and he broke this 0-for-20 slump over the weekend and had a great game three. You're right. Everything you said is is right on the money. And we talk about all these options they have in outfield and just about all of them are left-handed. So they need a right-handed bat. They need a right-handed power bat and to be able to put yeah. it in the middle of the lineup. Somebody else, you know, besides Christian Moore, and obviously Zane Denton, who's a switch hitter and goes both sides and continues to have – he's on a nice little tear hitting from the right side of the plate. Really been good both sides, but, you know, right is typically where he struggles from. So, yeah, it was huge. Merritt was really good. He – Broke out of the slump. Really, it started with that Friday game. He had a pinch hit, hit, uh, hard hit ball right up the middle. So that was a good sign. But, you know, more than anything, I think, you know, we talk about it. Same with Denton. You just kind of want to see some consistency. The A day like that is phenomenal. Just not going over 20 and not having weekends, you know, where you're a non-factor, it would be even bigger for Tennessee. Because they. it's just like what we said. They don't need Griffin Merritt to be an all-star. They don't need him to be the best lineup or the best player on this team, the best bat on this team. They just need him to be a guy that can be in the lineup and not be a liability and be solid. I think he's capable of that. I think adjusting the SEC play, uh, you know, could be something going on. It takes some time. But, you know, as we talked about the weekend before, you're worried about if he's even going to have a role on this team with how big he was struggling and, and dryling and tears, some of those guys stepping up. Great sign by him, you know, in that Florida series to kind of get back on track and, and show that he can be a reliable bat in the order. Ryan, I'm going to put you on the clock here to talk 60 seconds about if you think that Tennessee is a team that notoriously struggles in weather, bad weather, because they lost the Kentucky series last year in bad weather in Lexington, got swept in Columbia, Missouri, and then were lifeless for two days against Florida this weekend. All three of those series, horrific, horrific weather. Do you think that maybe that plays a larger part into Tennessee's struggles than maybe some people are talking about or we're talking about? Yeah, it's a great question. One that I've not thought a second about. To me, the one last year feels different. Like to me, last year almost felt a lot like Florida's performance in game three of the series this weekend, where it was like Tennessee went to Kentucky. They basically all but already wrapped up the SEC. They were going to be a top, uh, you know, whatever seed, two seed, I guess, at the worst at that point in, in the NCAA tournament. And it was like, 
all right, there's not a whole lot to prove. Let's just get out of here. This is miserable. And that's kind of how Florida felt to me in game three of this series. Like, they got behind early. It was miserable weather. They'd won the series. All right, let's get out of here. So, to me, those two are a little different. You know, certainly, I, I think the weather had an effect on them uh, against Missouri. I don't think it had much of an effect this weekend, to be honest. So, I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest. Those are some quick thoughts on it. You know, it's certainly a trend I think we're keeping an eye on and continuing to look at. The one thing, I, the one conclusion I would draw in all of that is that all three of those series, cold, not just rain. You know, I think maybe Correct. cold yes. might be the aspect of it that particularly leads to Tennessee struggling. That's a good point. It's definitely an intriguing trend. And one, maybe if there's another bad probably not going to be many more cold weekends in the baseball season, but if there is definitely keep track of Tennessee struggles there. We're going to take a quick break on the other side of the break. We're going to preview the Arkansas series as Tennessee heads to Fayetteville this weekend. Stick around with us here on the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition. All right, we're back from the break here on the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shumpert. We're going to get into this Arkansas preview here. Ryan, you know, it's another top five matchup for Tennessee, but it feels like this is less of a beast, if you will. The LSU and Florida bring highly, highly intimidating orders and lineups and pitching with just a ton of MLB talent, and Arkansas has their fair share of that, but it feels like this is certainly a more winnable series for Tennessee. It does, yeah. I don't, I don't think Arkansas is as talented as either of LSU or Florida, uh, or probably as good as LSU or Florida, but it is still a good, you know, top 10 team, just a classic, just classic SEC team that's in the top 10. It kind of feels like they're second tier in the SEC. That's just how that is, is life in uh, SEC baseball. But I think one thing that, you know, just on the surface, it's going to make this series harder is I – Tony Vitello has talked about so many times this year how this team's fighting battles, you know, they didn't create with how disliked last team last year's team was – and how hated they were, and none, nothing is going to be bigger than that this weekend. This is an Arkansas uh, team, or I guess Arkansas fan base, at least the fan, we know the fan base despises Tennessee, and certainly the team took some shots at them last year too. Players change. I'm, you know, it's not all of that stuff, but Ballwalker Stadium, massive stadium, one of the hardest places to play in the SEC, and you better believe they're going to be ready for Tennessee. So Tennessee better come in and be in the right mindset. And again, this kind of goes back to what we talk about. It's in the challenge of mentality with baseball. You're balancing coming in. Uh, you're just trying to play baseball. And let's not make this more than it is. It's just another baseball game. But at the same time, you better have some fight about you. And I think this team, in a lot of ways, hasn't had some fight about them. And you saw that, I think, in both games uh, last weekend. They lost against Florida, particularly in game one after that fifth inning. It just felt like they folded. You know, they were playing great before that, but there was just no fight back and, and no energy so that's something that they're going to have to have this weekend. And again, kind of the, the struggles of mentality or the challenges of uh, finding the right mentality in baseball. They're going to have to balance those two things if they want to go in and have a, a winning series this weekend. Yeah, I really, I agree. I think that's the story for this series. The, these fan bases that hate each other and Tony Vitello's got the, you know, obviously used to be at Arkansas and that relationship's kind of messy and just the everything surrounding it that is beyond baseball if you will and Tennessee's yeah. going to have to be locked in playing against Arkansas we haven't seen them locked in in these big matchups so you know that is why you know for Tennessee's sake that Saturday win has to mean something or has to have maybe turned a corner because if they drop another SEC series things are going to kind of get a little sticky 
Yeah. I think you... As far as hosting a regional, to me, that is always my mindset. And not top four seed in Hoover, anything like that. It's hosting a regional. Yeah, and that that is, I think, a fair point. But at the same time, you know, I go back and look before this, you know, this gauntlet started. We said, or at least I said, you know, I think five and seven would be be good for Tennessee in this four-week stretch. And if you win a game this weekend, again, you're still alive to do that and probably one of the more winnable series is against Vanderbilt at home. Uh, next week and you know maybe that doesn't turn out to be the case because Vanderbilt has been on such a tear but you're right and to me it's almost you know it'd be a huge statement a huge win if Tennessee went into Fayetteville and won the series but more than that I think it's just the competitiveness the little things and you know what we said to start the the podcast you, you left the LSU weekend and the Florida weekend with a way different taste in your mouth about the Tennessee baseball team and they won one of three games both times so I think it's when you look at this team, it's obviously it would be huge to win two to host a regional from that standpoint. But when you look at this team of getting things going in the right direction and starting to figure themselves out and play their best baseball uh, going into the NCAA tournament or late in the season, I don't necessarily think it's all about, you know, there's a lot to look at besides winning the series and losing the series that will make me feel one way or the other about how good this Tennessee team is now, maybe not how capable it is, but how good it is and how likely it is that they reach their potential. Yeah, I think we should expand more on what you talked about, different taste in your mouth, if you will, after these series finales against LSU and Florida. What was What's the taste in your mouth about Tennessee after that win against Florida? Because it was more of a dominant victory than the series finale win against LSU, but the series was worse as far as how Tennessee competed. Where do you kind of see Tennessee right now? Yeah, I mean, to me... We know this team has the talent. This is besides any of the two weekends. I the ceiling I know this team has is high because the starting pitching is really good and they have talent. To me, it's the mindset of being able to go out there and consistently perform is the question marks I have with this team. And I didn't think their mindset was very good in the Florida series. I didn't think their response was good when they got behind. I don't think they dealt with the weather or side circumstances, that type of stuff. I didn't think they dealt with it very well at Florida. So I guess that's kind of, you know, what I'm getting at and, it didn't seem like a mature team or a team that was, you know, you left the LSU series and they lost the series, but they were extremely competitive. They made a few mistakes that you got to clean up. You got to be better with those things. But it was, you left to me, I left the LSU series saying this team is plenty good enough to compete with the best teams in the country. I left the Florida series thinking there was a, a big gap between Tennessee and Florida at this point. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to know. Okay, so you're not putting too much credence at all in that series finale winning as Florida. No, I mean, it's a good response, but the fact that they won by 12 runs doesn't mean anything to me. I would have been more impressed if they won by one run and they won a hard-fought game <laughs> and they fought back. Then That's a good point. They, the, from the first, from the second that, I I guess, J.R. Dickey was hitting leadoff. Uh, let's see if I still have yeah. it pulled up. I do have it. Hunter Inslee was hitting leadoff. No, that's, that's the wrong game. I closed out game three. From the second, Jared Dickey. Yeah, he's playing left field because Cal Stark was behind the plate. Right, yeah. Yeah. From the second he stepped in the batter's box, first pitch Florida threw, Tennessee faced no adversity. Florida handed them a three-run lead. And it's easy, you know, it's easy when that that happens to to play well and to play loose. Can you do that when the other team punches you in the mouth early? That's what I haven't seen from Tennessee. Well, Arkansas has the capability of punching you in the mouth, as we said. And they got, you know, looking at their pitching, it's – Probably not as good as Florida's, not great numbers here, but you got a really good Friday guy in Hunter Holland. I believe I'm saying that correctly. Just a three ERA there, three flat. He's probably going to give Tennessee some fits. 
there in game one. Just your thoughts on this Arkansas starting rotation as a whole, as well as any further information you want to give on their bullpen. Yeah, it's one of those, they're not overpowering. You know, I don't think they have anybody that's overpowering. You know, Hunter Holland's been very productive, but he's not, he's not Paul Skeens. You know, he's not Brandon Sprout. He's not one of these top guys in the SEC. So, uh, to me, it's a very manageable one, and I think when we we left last weekend, in a lot of ways, talking about the competitive at bats or the lack thereof competitive at bats. To me, that's going to be very important in this weekend because if you can work competitive at bats, I don't think these guys the Arkansas has are going to be dominant against Tennessee. And then if you can get deeper into the bullpen, it is a bullpen that has you know good depth and some good arms in it. But like the vast majority of college bullpens, there's a lot of guys that are inconsistent in it. So uh, yeah. to me, that's the big question. And then after Holland. Uh, Hagen Smith is kind of, uh, or excuse me, Will McIntyre has kind of taken over as a consistent weekend starter, but there just hasn't been a ton of consistency uh, with their starting rotation, who it's going to be. And if that, whoever's in there, them being effective. So uh, to me, it's Hunter Holland and a lot of other guys that are pretty good. Um, and Arkansas is doing what a lot of most college baseball teams are doing. And it's trying to find some consistency uh, in our weekend rotation and a couple of consistent arms out of the bullpen, you know, they can rely on. As far as Arkansas's offense goes, there's one batter hitting over 400. That would be Jace Bofferon, or Borofin, sorry, Borofin. And, they got uh, some names. Yeah, yeah, they do. Jared Wagner, you know, they got they got a good lineup. It's a it's a very capable SEC lineup. Jared Wagner, over 10 home runs. He's got 12, so, you know, great slugging percentage, too. Leads the team. You know, th- this is not a lineup to be taken lightly. Uh, you know, it's just it's just SEC baseball and it's a top five team. So there's not yeah. really a whole lot to get into here. Yeah, I'd say the two guys that in Tennessee didn't play from last year, but the two guys that if you you might know from following Tennessee or even two years ago, they had a decent size role. But Peyton Stovall and Brady Slavins, those two guys are back. Uh, they haven't have been fantastic, but both have been, you know, pretty productive guys. They'll be in the middle uh, of Arkansas's order. So. Those are kind of two guys that you might remember from teams in the past. And yeah, I think Arkansas solid is just a word comes up with Arkansas. There's nothing that they do that's necessarily overpowering, overpowering. They're not elite, but they're just, they're good. And they are going to play good, clean baseball. And they're the home team. They're going to have a big, a uh, big home crowd advantage, a rowdy environment. And they're not going to make mistakes to beat themselves. Tennessee's going to have to go out there and beat Arkansas. And uh, that's the challenge they have. Tennessee's plenty talented enough to me to win this series. Uh, but Arkansas is a, g- a good team, and it'll be just that. It'll be a challenge. So let's do some predictions here, Ryan. Um, what's your prediction for Tennessee series against Arkansas in Fayetteville this weekend? Yeah, I'll say Arkansas wins two out of three. I'll mix it up and say Tennessee wins a game before Sunday. Yeah, I'll go. I'll say they went on Thursday night. I think Chase Dolan, they're Friday night. Friday, Friday night. We're back to Friday. Yeah, Sunday. we're back. We're back, baby. We're back to normalcy. Love it. <laughs> um, two make more, this, I think. make my job so much easier. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I'll say Tennessee gets a win on Friday night and then drops the next two. But more than anything, you know, I think this is just a series that they'll win one out of three games. Okay. Well, game one, Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern on SEC Network. Only game that's televised. I don't know if you know anything as to why the other two games aren't televised, but I feel like that's kind of criminal. This rivalry that has kind of been built in college baseball, two great teams, only one game televised, feels like they're missing an opportunity here. Yeah, I'm, I am surprised, especially when you consider that all the scheduling stuff done before the season, that this was they yeah. weren't given more games. But And the, yeah, well, this I series mean, was added late, right? Well, it's when the SEC changed their schedule, though. So I don't think it would have affected that. The okay. SEC had to change yes. their whole schedule to get this in there because I've never seen this before. They made a 
mistake before it, no one caught it before they sent out <laughs> all the schedules to everybody in the public, not even just the teams, to the public. Um, so yeah, I'm a little surprised, but it's also, you know, it's kind of moral rarity. I think that Tennessee, Florida has all three games on TV than it is necessarily That's true. abnormal that, you know, just one game is on TV this weekend. Yeah. But I feel like there should be at least two. Anyway, I digress. Saturday at 7 Eastern Time, SEC Network Plus, and then Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern, SEC Network Plus. When there is games on SEC Network Plus or ESPN Plus, all that good jazz, and you guys, if you don't have that, don't worry, because RockyTopInsider.com has a live, detailed at-bat-by-at-bat feed done by yours truly for every Tennessee baseball game, even the midweeks, every single game. Got a small little game preview there at the beginning before every single at-bat is chronicled there in the article. So if you guys can't watch it, be sure and follow along with that, or you can follow along Rocket Top Insider Twitter, as Ryan always has the live updates there as well. So a lot of ways to consume your Tennessee baseball content via Rocket Top Insider you don't want to miss out on. Ryan, anything else to add? Are you going to Fayetteville this weekend, by the way? Haven't asked I am you going to sure. Fayetteville, yeah. All right, there we go. It's good news. Uh, you ever yeah. been? So RTO. No, it's Fayetteville and College Station, only two SEC schools that I haven't been to. So I'll be down to just College Station after this weekend. And then you're going to have Norman and Austin. Then I'm going to have Norman and Austin now. That's <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, Rock Top Insider will even be in attendance this weekend. That is great news. Well, I guess that's going to do it. Ryan, I'll see you in about 90 minutes or so um, for Tennessee, Eastern Kentucky. So, everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition. You can follow Ryan at rshump00, that's S-C-H-U-M-P, and follow me at Jack Foster Media. But, of course, follow at Rocket Top Insider on all your social platforms as well. Ryan, I'll catch you later, man. And, everybody, have a great rest of your week.